Hey everyone, welcome to episode 230 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by James Lane, a landscape photographer and physics teacher living in Wakefield in the United Kingdom. James is the kind of photographer that I deeply admire. He focuses on local subjects and has a keen eye for incredibly personal and emotionally impactful intimate work that is jaw-dropping. I highly encourage you to take a look at his work as we dive into the conversation so that you can get a sense for what we will be discussing today. On today's podcast, we covered a wide array of topics that hopefully you'll enjoy. Over on Patreon this week, James and I provide our tips and tricks for printing our work, something we are both quite into these days. Well, Before we dive in, I wanted to thank our newest patrons, James Ewer, Serena Jackson, Richard Boutwell, and Rajas Chodas Warren. I appreciate all of you who are participating in this value for value model to help keep the show running week in and week out. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, James Lane, thank you so much for joining me at 2.30 in the morning to record an amazing podcast. Thank you very much for having me at 2.30 in the morning to record an amazing podcast. <laughs> yes, of course. And um, I understand that you're joining us with not only water and not only tea, which doesn't surprise me, uh, mm. being that you're British, but also beer. Yes, uh, although that is um, slightly brought on by the fact that you've got beer, so I felt like I had to join you on that. <laughs> right. So so what you're trying to say is that you succumb easily to peer pressure. Absolutely, yeah. I am gullible and impressionable. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What 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 exactly are you drinking? What kind of beer is it? Uh, it is. Uh, I will hold. It, it is Sky Blaven, which is uh, a beer from uh, the Isle of Skye, uh, and named after one of my favourite mountains. Which uh, is uh, yeah. There you go. It's a lovely beer. It's like a golden ale. It's very nice. Oh, I like it. I'll have to yeah. try that if I'm ever over there. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I'm a big beer fan, so. Cool, man. Well, so first of all, let me say I've been super impressed uh, with the work you've been producing. I really like it. I like the the style, the moodiness. Just I really like your composition, and so I was really excited to uh, to get you here on the on the podcast and really explore deeply what some of the meaning is behind some of your images. Oh, excellent! Thank you very much for inviting me as well. It's uh, it's an honor, as they say. <laughs> of course, of course. All right, James. Well, for for people that uh, may not have ever heard of you before or are not familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in this wild game we like to call landscape photography. <laughs> sure, I'll try my best. Uh, although I've not really figured out the answer to that question myself, so it might this might be an interesting answer. Um, so my name is James Lane. I am from uh, Yorkshire in the north of England. Um, I'm 34, which is a I don't know what that means, but it's a, it's a nice one, I suppose. Um, I got into photography uh, properly. I, I suppose that I always count the time I got into photography as when I bought my first proper camera, which I suppose was three and a half years ago, actually, so not too long. Uh, January 2018, I always remember. Um, I'd always been very uh, travel-y, a bit outdoorsy, going lots of interesting places, annoyingly, before I had my camera. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And I always used to take phone snaps, and and, and I used to love sharing them uh, online. I had, a, you know, and, and on Facebook and social media, my friends see them and things. I was I was always quite careful about the composition, slightly as it were. Um, but I didn't really know anything about photography, uh, and for some reason, uh, I <laughs> purchased a camera. I don't know why I did this. Um, I bought like a fixed lens camera and went out and just started doing things with it. Um, I think it's because I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I was a bit like bored <laughs> and a little bit lonely actually I was a bit about a time in my life where I didn't really uh, spend much time with a lot of people for whatever reason um, and I wanted something to do when I went places that wasn't just go to places um, so one of those was to take the camera with me and that became a bit of a friend on the on the trips um, and that sort of uh, give me a bit of a, a goal at the end of these trips so that's kind of why I got into photography and of course over the last three and a half years, which will, which will be a blink in the eye for some photographers or uh, a long time for others. Um, I have sort of slowly developed uh, what I like to, to shoot and what I like to make images of. Um, so that's uh, that's a bit about me. Oh, and also, um, 
I'm not just a photographer. I did this, do nothing and then became a photographer. I'm actually a, a physics teacher as well in a secondary school or a high school. Um, so that's what I do in my actual job. So you luckily you caught me in the summer holidays here. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have me at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Wow. I, I, I had no idea that you were a, uh, a physics teacher. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, it's quite fun actually, um, but very challenging. Which is half the reason I wanted something to do <laughs> when I was not teaching that got me away from the uh, the chaos of that uh, job. Um, yeah, something yeah. a little bit more productive than than watching Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, just something like a creative outlet. You know, I've always been uh, scientific. All my quali- you know, all, everything I did at university, the jobs that I've had have all been sciencey. So there's not much room for expression and subjectivity everything's objective in science so there's no creativity really uh, obviously teaching is a creative career but the actual study of it is not really um mm-hmm. so i just uh i wanted something to give me a bit more of a voice uh, i think that's that's half the reason i did this as well brilliant well you know we've had a lot of um scientists and science people on the podcast <laughs> uh interestingly i have come to find out that quite a few people with scientific backgrounds take up photography as their creative outlet of choice. And I think the common thread that I've found, and I'm curious if you've also have found this to be true, is because um, at first, uh, photography is a very technical pursuit. You know, there's a lot of inner workings of the camera. You have to figure out what aperture is and all of those mm-hmm. things. And so I think that technical side of, of landscape photography is what kind of pulls people in. And then once they get into it, they're like, wow, there's something really interesting here that um, I'm tapping into that I never really thought existed within myself. So I'm curious if, if that uh, resonates with you or if there was a different um, aspect of your scientific background that you've been able to leverage um, as a photographer. I, I, I suppose I won't lie. Um... I used Fujifilm cameras. This is relevant, by the way. I'm not advertising for them um, because they have <laughs> they, they have lots of clicky dials and things, and you can click in your aperture and click in the ISO and click in the shutter speed that manually right. now on the. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh, that. It felt like I was controlling some exciting machine. Um, so I suppose that was a little element of it. Um, but um, in terms of the process, um, I suppose early doors, uh, I was like, well, you know think about that rule and this rule and all these things in the very, very early doors, you know, it needs to be on this third and all those things. So that was the, I suppose, the science base coming through there. But I soon ditched that and uh, found that the, the more creative uh, I was with my images, the more fulfilling I was, I found it. So I think uh, early doors, maybe the science was there, but, um, but yeah, that's been, that's so ditched now. Uh, I'm full artist now. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, I'm super curious to hear about um, that evolution for you, you know, and, and curious to see or hear you talk about how you feel like your images have changed or your approach to photography has changed as you've kind of more embraced that creative side versus the sciencey technical side. Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, like I say, early, early doors, I was very much drawn like a lot of people are to the kind of honeypot locations in the UK and, and making images that are of relatively similar compositions to other people, which I'm not going to uh, say is a bad thing, but um, in terms of self-expression and creativity, it uh, it's nice to put your own stamp as people always say on these places, but it, it does always feel like it's never really, never really felt like my images, even though they are. Um, so uh, I, I think it didn't. I didn't. Think, I didn't force anything. Just over time, what's happened is, um, I look. I've got like a body of work that's slowly building, and I look through that, and the images that I feel very satisfied by and that I love the most are incredibly unique. You know, um, that sometimes don't really follow any particular uh, rules, whatever that means. Um, and um, yeah, they have a certain feel to them as well, which uh, again is something I've not really forced. Uh, it's just that over time, those images kind of stand out to me um, and sort of uh, self sort of curated over a period of time so I think um, yeah I think the creativity has arisen because of taking lots of photos and then choosing the ones that I really really love and it turns out luckily they're the ones that I really love are the ones that are very more unique to me and uh, less uh, visible as opposed to others sure no that's brilliant I mean uh, that um, that more personal connection to our imagery I think is 
uh, once you reach that point in your photography, it's a very freeing Mm -hmm. uh, perspective to take because you're no longer looking at um, scenes or images in terms of, oh, I wonder if this will sell or I wonder if other people will like this. It's more about what is it about this particular scene that speaks to me and, and why, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think, um, I think I was, I'm not going to lie. I, early, earlier on, I'm talking maybe two, two years ago, I was very much like, Oh, well, if I take, I've got, I come back from a trip. Yeah. And I've take, I've got these five images. I really like, I can't wait to share them on social media. I'll put, I'll put, I'll put them in this order and that'll be really nice. And Oh, that one, I'll get loads of likes. And I used to think like that genuinely. I'm not going to lie about that. Sure. Um, it was really naive. Uh, and, uh, uh, immature, I suppose, in a way, um, because it didn't really fulfill me at all. And it was sort of a numbers game um, initially. And that's, I mean, I don't want to say that that's all it was, because <laughs> it wasn't. But um, photography is not I, the reason I started doing it wasn't for that. But then I got sucked into that. Um, I even used to promote posts on Instagram, you know, um, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I just did. Uh, and uh, just, just, just so more people would see them, I suppose. But um, yeah, that's long gone. Um, moved well past that now, and uh, uh, since since moving away from from caring really what happens on social media, uh, I've found my work to become more fulfilling. I feel more connected to it, and I feel more relaxed about the actual process, and a no rush to make images. Uh, I've gone from wanting to go uh, every time there was a weekend ball, every time there was some nice conditions, I'm feeling you know forced to have to go and do something. To now limiting my photography really to a series of trips that I do throughout the year, um, and just really getting stuck in, uh, and then in, in over a week's time, you know, rather than jumping around here, there, and everywhere, which of course has uh, carbon footprint connotations as well, which is not great. Driving, you know, hundred miles, taking one image and driving back is uh, it might <laughs> sound uh, sound fun, but uh, it's uh, probably not the best thing for the environment, is it? So um, I think limiting to trips. Uh, creatively and uh, I suppose morally has been a bit better for me. Hmm. Well, maybe later I'd love to tap into more of those ethical considerations. Uh, Well, let's put that on the back burner for a moment. I just wanted to first just say you're not alone in that kind of numbers game approach to photography. I remember, oh, I remember 2012, I created this ridiculous Milky Way panorama composite that was like four different photos combined into one. And the only reason I did that was not because I thought it would look cool. It was because I thought it would make the front page of 500px. And that was the only reason I edited that photo in that particular fashion. And looking back on that period of my photography, I'm grateful that I went through that and have grown past it. But I also can appreciate that other people could be there right now. And that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. And that's just where they're at in their particular journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it sounds familiar, actually. But yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to be past that now um, because I didn't, like I say, I got into photography, was really enjoying it, then got sucked into social media, which I mean, you need to have it. There's nothing wrong with having it. I'm not saying, oh, ban all social media. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> I just think, um, you know, now that I've, I feel like that was kind of like a sort of chrysalis phase where I was, I was this little grub uh, with my camera, then I was this this pupa, uh, and I've emerged now as some sort of, uh, let's say, moth, not butterfly, um, and uh, uh, especially moth with it being 2.30 a.m., um, <laughs> um, that uh, I feel now much more uh, free, I suppose, than uh, and, and I was confined before. Yeah, well, just don't get drawn, too drawn to the flame as a moth. Yes. Because you'll get burned. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this analogy is, is turning out very nice, isn't it? Let's keep going with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can, do, we can do this all day, buddy. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, so I think that's very interesting that that's kind of where you've, you've recently come from. Uh, because when I look at your work, especially, you know, your more re- recent work, it feels like it has more of a personal touch and some cohesion to it. And I know that um, you, you've, you're kind of labeling a lot of your kind of current work as part of a project or an introspective project that you're calling uh, Calm and Chaos. And I would love to hear a lot more about why you started that particular project and what has been your approach in creating it. Yeah. So that project, which I've, I've given a name, <laughs> but um, 
it's not really something that had a beginning point uh, like oh today i will start carbon chaos you know uh, and the name actually arose long after i'd started it really um i think um I, it's i look at the work that i have been doing uh and the images that i really like uh, that have, you know that pop out over the sea of images that i make um they have a specific feel to them um some of them uh, especially ones of the grander landscape feel to me feel very calming when you know the actual composition it seems calming I quite like a high key sort of image um, with a soft atmospheres. I'm not too bothered about uh, ultra colorful images. I quite like this sort of white clouds, uh, middle of the day stuff actually sometimes. Yeah, um, you you and every other UK photographer I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it probably reflects uh, the mood of the nation, doesn't it, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we're a little bit... Uh, maybe kg with our uh, colors perhaps i don't know um yeah, but yeah. um i'm not sure what that says about us but uh there you go um but yeah that's what i said when the, so when i look at the images of the grander landscape that's kind of the feeling i, I get is that calmingness um which is not a word uh, and then um it is now when i it is now that's it we'll, we'll rename the project calmingness and chaosness <laughs> <laughs> um and when um so they're obviously grander landscape images but when i do woodland photography which is uh, something in the uk which is quite nice to do with the uh, lots of nice woodland where i live and in scotland where i visit uh, i often feel the opposite and we'll get on to i suppose the feeling behind all of these but um in the woodland i feel you know it's obviously I'm, there's no there's no <laughs> there's no unique thing here about woodland being chaotic they are very chaotic but uh, in a particular way, I quite like the abstract uh, woodlandiness, where you uh, point your camera at the canopy of the trees rather than getting a full woodland image, uh, which is often quite nice to do. Making these um, slightly uh, different images for me, anyway, there, compared to what I used to make. So um, there is a sort of chaotic uh, nature of those, which is uh, in direct uh, uh, opposition to the calming images that I like to make of, of the grander landscape and. I suppose together over time, and in the project, I don't, I don't see it. it's not it's not like a project that I will be done with in a year. This is something that probably I could last for ten years. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it just feel like that's I've identified that's at the moment. That's what I like to make images of. Of course, that would, could change. You know, you know, maybe in five years I'm making these really high contrast black and white photos. But um, hey, uh, but at the moment this is what I enjoy. Um, yeah, so. That's a, a, um, a description of, of of this project, I suppose, is um, a, a calm and chaos. Um, but the, there is kind of reason behind it, I think. Um, and we'll get on to, I suppose, the introspective stuff <laughs> shortly. Um, but um, yeah, well, let's let's just dive right into that because I think that's um, potentially some of the more interesting um, pieces of, of this particular story that you're telling about your work. In that it's, um, and I'll, I'll, I don't, I don't want to fill you with words, but it seems to me like the work that you're producing has an undercurrent to it around some of the emotions that you're personally feeling. And um, it's a way for you to connect introspectively to those feelings through your work. And I would love to hear you talk more about that process and kind of how you feel like those link, how those linkages work for you. Yeah. Um I think um, I mentioned to you earlier about one of the reasons I got into photography was a little bit sort of loneliness at the time uh, and wanting to have a voice really. And um, and I think a lot of the work that I do make, as, as much as I enjoy making it at the time, um, when I th feel a, think about it and think about how it makes me feel, um, it, 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 they're often quite negative emotions actually. It's not that like, oh, I hate my work. Um, not, not at all. It's, it's more... Um, the, the larger sort of calming images of, of the grand landscape that are uh, often quite airy sort of feel to them, I hope. Um, they, when I look at them, I, I feel, yes, they look pleasing to my eye and, uh, you know, compositionally and the way they flow and, and all the conditions and the atmosphere, it's very pleasing to the eye. But in terms of to the to the heart, um, I often feel more like a sense of longing is the word I would often use. Uh, and I do feel like a sense of uh, longing, like like almost like I kind of want to be somewhere else and uh, having a, a nice open image, an airy image makes me feel less trapped. So that's contrasty images make me feel very claustrophobic. Um, and I think that's what's driven me to make the, the more airy, calming images is because is, I don't like making myself feel claustrophobic and, and feeling trapped. Um, I always have a, a sort of a, a gnawing um, 
sort of sensation deep inside that I want to escape and get away from everything really, um, which is driven by lots of things, but um, definitely something that I want to, to, to achieve. And I think when I look at images that I really like of the grand landscape that I've made, that they are airy, they, there's always a feeling like I want to keep going a lot further and I want to see what's, what's, what's next and, and escape really. Um, so that's the kind of emotion I, I connect. I don't um, force that. Um, it's not something I go, right, I'm now in Scotland. I need to make images that make me feel longing and, and sad. And it's, it's not, that doesn't work like that. Um, it's just that when I look at the images that I really like, that's what they make me feel when I sit and look at them uh, sort of afterwards. Um, I'm not sat there sort of uh, sat on a rock uh, with a tear dripping down my face thinking, oh, I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could escape now. Um, because in the process of making the images, I've already have escaped. I'm on a trip, which is lovely. Um, but then, uh, you know, I want the images to, to reflect that feeling that I, I want to get away. And it's not just, um, I suppose everyone feels like that a lot of the time and exacerbated by the recent uh, events in the world. But um, uh, it is something that um, I feel like I want to achieve. And and if my work is you know, to be expressive, I suppose, to, to, you know, coining very much things that Alistair Ben talks a lot about in his work, um, I think that's really important um, for, for, for work to have meaning. It, you know, you've really got to, for me anyway, you've got to express through it. Um, and that's kind of what I do. Uh, the woodland, the chaos sort of scenes that I like to talk about, which is only a, a lot smaller at the moment, which is something I'm growing in the background. That is uh, the opposite. I actually feel when I'm in the woods, I feel quite trapped. Um, so that, again, it's like the, the similar thing that I want to get away and I, and I see the canopies and all the, the, the branches and all the, the textures and I feel a bit caged in by it all. And I thought, well, let's make the woodland imagery about sort of feeling a bit trapped. And then the, the larger landscape imagery being about a feeling of uh, wanting to escape and longing. So there's a kind of connection there, which it feels like I've crigged it in, but it's, it's really not. It is genuinely when I look at the work, that's how I feel. I sat and look at it uh, and um, I do get that feeling. Yeah. So, sorry. I'm just. I'm curious. Uh, this this approach to having images in specific uh, settings uh, represent uh, various feelings that you're um, wanting to portray or or process for yourself. I'm curious. Is that is that process uh, intentional and conscious when you are making images, or is it something that you later have discovered? And, and and then seek more of, or what does that relationship look like for you in the field? It's interesting because as soon as you become aware of it, it's hard not to think about it. Um, but when mm -hmm. um, initially, before I realized I was embarking on this project, that is that, uh, this calm and chaos thing, that um, um, that it um, at the time when I looked at the images that I'd already made, I think, oh, wow, I love these really calming ones with the big landscape. And oh, I love these chaotic ones of the woodland. Why do I love them? Um, so they'd already been made those images, and then then I start thinking about why I love them, uh, and then it that, that obviously what I've just described came about um, th those feelings. But now that I'm aware of them, <laughs> it's then it's difficult because now I think right, oh, I love these calming images that make me feel a certain way, and I, I now travel like I've just come back uh, yesterday from a, a couple uh, like a week and a bit in Scotland on a trip, and um, when I was there, this um, it was really beautiful conditions that suit me down to a tea with lots of atmosphere and such and it was hard to divorce that um feeling of oh my images now have to feel like this um so it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy really that um the images uh, early when i'm identifying the, the 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 thread i suppose um i can it's it's it came naturally but now i'm, I'm having to be more conscious about not trying to force that style i suppose and just make images of things that i really enjoy making images of and we'll see what happens um and i'll you know the ones that, that i mean there are a lot of them that will fit in the category that i've made this week of, of calming um um yeah so a lot of those will fit naturally into that category but i was you know really trying not to force it uh, because i think mm -hmm. that will stifle creativity in the long run um, mm. and maybe i'll turn away from images that might be i mean there's one image that i've made this the Scotland trip that is very contrasty. There's even I've let some parts of it fall into silhouette um, at sunset, which is something I don't often do, um, which does not <laughs> look like one of those calming images. But I still made it because it was a beautiful scene, a beautiful moment. Um, and um, yeah, that's what I mean about um, not letting it stifle creativity uh, in a weird way. Mm -hmm.
Well, you, you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but I, I was really curious about, you know, you know, ha- has sticking to this theme of, of darkness uh, been helpful or has it been constraining to your process of making photographs? Yeah, I think um, it was helpful to to identify the work that was already there that, you know, it's nice to think about what, what, what it is that I've been drawn to. Um, but like you say, um, it, it, I don't want it to become a constraint. You know, I don't want to go to Scotland to only make images that are, you know, beautiful white foggy conditions or whatever. Um, but it's hard not to, I suppose. Um, I'm listen, I'm enjoying it. You know, it's a, it's a project that I, I really do enjoy doing. Um, and, I, I'm, it's not like I have to take these images and put them straight out. Uh, I'm going to sit on them for a long time and and share them in a, a different, certain way and curate them, I suppose, to fit the project from now on. I think the curation process will help help that. Um, so I'll still take images, like I mentioned, that quite contrasty one that I've made on this recent trip. I'll still make those images, but um, they will be sort of put out in a different way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm also curious, uh, you know, having such a focus on this particular style of images, um, I think can be helpful. However, I'm wondering if you have passed by particular scenes or um, images that you could have made that you just ignored, maybe not even consciously because it didn't fit within this, um, you know, this particular style that you're trying to focus on. Yeah. And I think um, that's, that's, well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm really trying not to focus on it, but it's hard not to, because I think I just love those type of images. I think, and that's what's, that's quite helpful that I do like that certain low contrast feel to images and that airy feel. I do really like that. Uh, but I think you're right. Um, there are instances where I go, Oh, and I have caught myself doing this. Oh, that's not like one of my images. It's a beautiful scene, but that's not like one of my images. Uh, and then, of course, you, you, you're missing out, perhaps. Um, so I, I think, like, like I just mentioned, this this contrasty sort of shot that I've made in Scotland recently, um, that will I, – I made a conscious decision that I'm, I will take this. And I was sat there uh, surrounded by midges uh, with my tripod, and I was thinking <laughs> – uh, absolutely getting eaten alive, thinking – uh, this image, um, it's it's beautiful. It is really a beautiful scene. I, gorgeous conditions, a really beautiful sort of blue hour sky with lovely red, sort of red glow, and this this these lovely reeds and this mountain in the distance, and there's a little bit of low lying mist still hanging in the valley. And it was a very very beautiful, very contrasty scene. And I was sat there going, oh, this is beautiful. It is nothing like my images it cannot go in that collection that I'm trying to produce so why am I here do I shall I take the image and of course I, I made the image and, and did it um and I'm really glad I did because it, it, I really like it. I've not edited it yet actually I just keep looking at it in the back of my camera thinking oh I love that um but uh, <laughs> so yeah I have forced myself to do that um and uh, and I've just gone well maybe in the future that can become part of something else um, so mm-hmm. it's about future proofing I suppose I'm in this for the long game you know I've, I've I can see these projects going on for a decade, you know, so um, sure. I want to see what that looks like in a long time. That's why yeah, when, I, I, I mean, these. you know, not to plant a seed in your mind, but wouldn't it be interesting to have a, have like a book where the, you know, one half is like this emotion and the other half is another, you know, something that's very contrasted. That would, that would be a very interesting or, or a book that has two images side by side that portray those two different emotions um, in a, Juxtapose, juxtaposed way uh yeah well actually um that is you've read my mind pretty well because i do <laughs> foresee at the end of this it would be nice to do something like that you know and i have actually talked uh, about uh that with a friend actually um that i would like to make a, a book of that is that is two halves actually um so it's very mm. it's, i'm really glad that you've picked up on that because that sounds that now makes me think that's a good idea <laughs> if yeah, Matt says it, it, it's fine <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, so, like a sort of Jekyll and Hyde book, yeah, of uh, of right. calm and chaos images. Some, yeah, that's, yeah that's, some that's duality the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a nice goal. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of exploration opportunity in in dualities. I have talked about this with Renee Algesheimer on a previous episode, and we talked a lot about dualities and what that means in our photography. And I think it opens a lot of doors in terms of, you know, like there's just so many things you can do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, I do, I do. The duality thing is obviously that is what clearly overshadows what I'm currently working on, and it's definitely something I'd like to continue to explore. Yeah, nice. something more tangible at the end, perhaps as well, which always sounds fun. Well, I don't, I don't want to put uh, words in your mouth, but uh, it seems to me like underpinning some of your work are kind of these negative emotions that you were describing earlier. Um, and I'm just curious, uh, how does it feel to have such negative emotions fuel your artistic process? Yeah, I, I don't know. It feels kind of nice in a way, a weird way. Um, it sounds a bit <laughs> sort of uh, sadomasochistic. But um, I, uh, I think at the time of making, I don't want, like I say, I don't want people to think I'm sort of um, floating around the Scottish moorland like a, like a, a sort of lost uh, phantom, you know, sort of weeping into grass. Um, but uh, so when I'm in the field, I am enjoying myself, you know. Um, yes, um, sometimes that enjoyment comes from quite uh, moments of um, sort of introspection and, and calmness and and just, you know, that kind of thing. Um, sure. There's no word for that. There's just that noise. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I really enjoy the process and, and you know, I don't just go, oh, snap, that, that's, that makes me feel calm, snap. Um, I do sit and consider the compositions quite carefully, often for hours upon end sometimes. Um, so I don't want uh, people to think that I'm, uh, I'm just uh, sort of reacting to my emotions there and then. I think it's uh, when I look back at the work that I've created, I see that constant thread. And then I think as I look through them as, and as I'm building them on a trip, perhaps, I think, well, why, why, what is it about these images that I really like? And and why why am I drawn to certain compositions more than others? And and it's a it's when you when when I start thinking about that, um, that's where I think oh actually, I think it's actually I, I want to get away, I want to escape, uh, which then means that uh, what my current situation is probably something that I might want to change. Mm. Um, and so if I'm feeling that way, then that's, that's a bit you know it's a bit negative perhaps, uh, and and it, but negative in a way that. It's it's good to get out there, you know. Um, it's as as they say, it's good to talk and all that stuff. And I'm suppose I'm doing that through my photography. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. So not to get too deep, but that's uh, <laughs> that's what it is really. It is airing uh, airing demons, airing airing concerns that I have about the current situation and, and wanting to change that a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we haven't we haven't really talked much about what that current situation is, and I'll leave that up to you, but. I'm curious if you are getting any relief from those emotions or your situation through your photography, or is your process more of a way to kind of have ownership over your situation and then have a way of kind of dealing with it? I think it's probably the prior, actually. Um, I feel a bit like, to give the analogy of a pressure cooker, um, the pressure cooker is always on. I can't switch that that gas off. I can't switch off the the, the cooker, um, but I can release the pressure now and then. And the photography is the pressure release valve, but um, unfortunately, it doesn't help me turn off the heat. Um, that heat is always on, if you're with me. And uh, um, it's it's important to release the pressure, but uh, inevitably, I need to go and turn turn the heat off at some point as well. Um, and I think maybe by continuing to express through my work, perhaps maybe I'll find the, I don't know, the bravery <laughs> to, to go and turn that heat off finally and, and do uh, fulfill that longing, uh, feed that longing emotion and actually get away. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, uh, that's probably, hopefully that, that <laughs> long winded cooking analogy does help somewhat. <laughs> no, it does. You know, following through on that analogy, you know, thinking about the, the cooking, the burning, the the stove that's on 24-7, 365. What what in your mind in your life is representing that that cauldron for you? Like what is creating that heat? Yeah, I suppose uh I mean I'm 34 now. Um I I, I feel I mean I live kind of quite locally to where I grew up. I actually live about a mile from the school I went to and all these things. Uh, uh -huh. so I, I I do feel a bit like um I am kind of, I've always had really itchy feet and quite intrepid and want to get away all the time and see what's there. And I can't sit still at all. You know, I'm, I'm often up and away before anyone's awake, even if it's photography or not. Um, and I feel geographically trapped. You know, I don't really want to be around here, really. I feel like I'm missing out. I've got to 34 and I'm still, be, I mean, I went to university, but even that was quite local. So uh, all these things, uh, and I work very locally as well. 
I just feel like I need to get away. A lot of my friends um, that, I, that I do still have are even or either live other parts of the country, uh, have moved or have started families and all these things. And, and I just feel a bit kind of like, oh, well, I need to, I need a new start, um, perhaps. But I'm not unhappy with what I do. I mean, I like my work. I love, I love my job and things like that. But um, I mean, which of course it is a high pressure job, but um, I don't dislike it at all. Uh, it's just, um, I just kind of feel like I want to be somewhere else and be and start again, perhaps. You know, mm. and I do feel trapped. Yeah, very trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've not really ever got started and I'm now 34 and I'm like, what's happened? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so that, I think that's what's happened. That resonates a lot with me. I, um, I was your age, I almost exactly your age when, uh, my wife and I decided to move, um, you know, thousand miles plus away from my hometown where I grew up and spent most of my life. We moved from Colorado Springs, Colorado, all the way to Portland, Oregon, which is like, if you know anything about those two cities, that's, you can't get more opposite in terms of religion and politics and everything. So it was a very intentional shift for myself. And I think when you when when we do that for ourselves, it can open up a lot of doors in terms of interest for introspection and growth, and you know having some recognition of some of the things that you know, have been holding us back as, as human beings. And so what you're describing really resonates for me. And I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that you're, you're using photography as a, as a platform through which you can express some of those feelings and have some of that growth as a person. And I think you have a lot of self-awareness about that as well, which I think is probably what is driving a lot of your success in terms of your image making. Yeah, I have heard you talk about that. I don't know where, but um, I know you did move away and then came back, didn't you? Um, and I'd be interested to know did it did it fulfil you moving away? Actually, because obviously this is something I've, I've thought about myself a lot, and will that change things? Um, I don't know. Sorry to spin the question back at you, Matt, but it'd be nice no, to hear. no, no, it's good. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it it definitely did. You know, I think. When you do something like that, it's obviously risky, right? Because you're mm-hmm. basically moving to an entirely different place. For some people, that's like, oh, I do that all the time. But you know, for other people like you and me, it just feels very unheard of and and very very risky. So, what it did for me was it helped recenter kind of what what was important to me. Um, you know, because I moved away from my family, um, I moved away from the Colorado mountains, which you know, I've always loved the Colorado Mountains, but uh, moving away from them was actually one of the best things I could have ever done because it helped me recognize truly how much I really love them um, and how much I really wanted to refocus my artistic pursuits and um, athletic pursuits in the mountains. And so that was helpful. And then, you know, I think sometimes it's good to just see what other experiences are out there and, and actually live those experiences. And, mm-hmm. and it gives you, it makes you a more well, well-rounded person, you know? And so it's, it's, it's interesting. I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, but my photography when I lived in Portland was not very good. <laughs> in retrospect, I actually was considering giving up photography altogether uh, quite a bit when I lived there. And um it took moving back to Colorado and re-engaging with what I truly love uh, to to recognize how much I truly love photography, um, but also to disconnect it from some of those external motivations and uh, and things like that. So I think taking a leap like that can be really great for you in the long run. Yeah. Uh, well, it does sound like it was worth it then, even though you inevitably came back because when you returned, you reconnected, I suppose, with the, the landscape that you had left behind and right. I suppose you realized how important it was when you came back um perhaps that would happen perhaps I would disappear and never come back who knows <laughs> <laughs> but um uh it, I just I don't want to get to you know 10 years now and um nothing's changed and I'll, I'll, I'll that will feel like a, a wasted opportunity so yeah I think <laughs> to, to bring it all back to, to the images that's 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 the theme that kind of runs through the work for me. That's a personal thing. It's not what I'm trying to get mm-hmm. others to see when they look at the work. But um, yeah, perhaps a, a 
you know, a change is, 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 is worth it. And, the, and you've given me some confidence, actually. Thank you for that. Because oh. um, it does sound like a great idea. Um, let's see. <laughs> let's see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? You might move away and you might have the same experience as me, like where your photography suffers, but you grow as a, as a human. Um, and then it allows you to have that time to disconnect from all those e- extreme um, external forces and and then it allows you to reconnect to the things that are really important to you. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when I look at your work, I think you've got such a deep, strong connection to, to the place and to emotion and to uh, emotional processing. And I would be really curious uh, for your journey to see how that would translate if you were to to relocate to some other location, I think that would be really interesting to see. Yeah, that that would be interesting as well, and, and creatively as well, would be interesting too, and just to, to to add that extra challenge. I think with me, I'm um, I'm a bit of a lighthouse keeper. That's kind of uh, I hope this makes sense. That I'm, I'm an only I'm an only child. I kind of very happy with my own company. I always have been, but I kind of want to force myself to. Um, you know, out into a different place, meet new people. And photography has actually done that as well. I've met a lot of people that I would never have even heard of or, or come across ever because of it, which is which has been a nice added bonus to it. Um, and I think forcing myself out of, which is a very comfortable little prison I've made for myself around here, um, to to uh, to a different place or, or with different people would definitely would be helpful. I think both photographically and also. Um, you know, emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm an only child too, so that totally resonates as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you get you get it. Some people don't get it really, um, but uh, I'm glad you do. That's helpful. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, let's uh, let's switch to a different topic. Um, I think we've covered that one pretty well. Thank you for your willingness to go there. Um, sure. I know that you've expressed uh, the desire and just kind of expressed that it's important to to practice more of an eyewitness approach to editing and, and creating your images in the field. And I'm curious why it is you found that particular approach uh, to be important and maybe just spend a few seconds telling people what that approach even is. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I suppose the eyewitness approach to uh, photography is um you know what you see is what you present. Uh, obviously, it doesn't mean you don't edit your images because you know raw files need a bit of work, of course, as everyone knows. Um, but um, yeah, I I I used to um, remove things from images, or you know, clone out big rocks or whatever, or um, maybe slightly over edit uh, colors or something like this. Um, but uh, I, I found that unfulfilling. And whenever I looked at the work, I always looked at, for example. This a nice reflected, beautiful flat lake with a mountain reflected in it. Oh, I'll move that bit of grass. I'll remove that rock. I'll remove that rock. And then I look at the image and I think, wow, that's nice. But I can't see past those changes. I, I can't not. I can't unsee that I've done them. Um, you know, no matter how clean an edit it is, I can't. I, I just sit there and think, this is not. That's not what I saw. And I feel like. Um, I'm sort of lying to myself in a weird way, which of course I'm not suggesting that anyone who does these things is lying. That's a bit extreme. It's just um, I didn't connect uh, comfortably with the work once I had done made changes like that. Um, and I also consider when I make the images of the landscape, I make them because I like the look of the landscape. So I should I want to keep it that way. I want to keep it, even though it is you know introspective and all these things. And I do like to use telephoto lenses pretty much exclusively to make images that are just sort of little parts of the landscape. Um, I do, um, I do still want to keep them real. Uh, I suppose the, the, the telephoto lenses that I exclusive, I mean, the long, the, the, the widest I shot with this trip I just come back from was 110 mil. Um, um, it does help me reduce the clutter rather than having to, you know, go away and take it out myself. Um, so I, d- I think I connect more with my work when it is of the eyewitness approach. But that's not to say I don't love the work of others who, who you know, who, who take a more hard line, you know, let's change this totally and make this look totally different to, you know, maybe the raw file. And that's great because it's still art as far as I'm concerned. Um, but for me personally, in my own work, I lose connection with it if I, if I baff with it, I suppose, too much. 
Um, plus, I'm not a massive fan of editing, really. Um, so uh, to, re- to reduce that down is always good, too. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned uh, looking at other people's work, and I'm curious if this resonates for you. But uh, oftentimes when I look at other people's work, and I, especially if it's of a place that I'm familiar with, uh, you know, somewhere here in Colorado that I've been to a million times or whatever, I find I find it when someone edits in a way, edits the image in a way that kind of takes away uh, what my experience has been there in the past, or as my friend Alex Noriega would say, breaks the fourth wall. Like, you know, you, you can't disconnect your mind from the fact that it's been altered so drastically. I find it really hard for me to connect with those types of images just because it's on one part representing something that exists and on the other part, not representing something that, that exists. And it's hard for me to move past that particular distraction. And I'm curious if that's something that you struggle with as well, or or if that's not something that it, that bothers you. Um, it, it bothers me in my own work, like I've already described, but um, when I see, like, but when I, like I say, when I look at other images that I, I do, I am aware of it, you know, and it, it, it makes me feel a different way about the, the images. Um, I did, <laughs> I think, um, a few uh, months ago or years ago, whenever it was, I listened to one of your episodes. I think you had, uh, was it Alex Snell and Aaron Babnick talking about yeah. the, the processing, non-processing sort of eyewitness, not eyewitness. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tour de force of conversation, actually. Um, I do enjoy that. Um, and uh, I do fall on the Alex Snell side of things, I suppose, with that one. Um, but I don't, you know, it doesn't stop me from enjoying the work of others. But I, I know what you're saying about Alex, another Alex N, Alex Noriega talking about, um, you know, like you say, that this fourth wall, um, it is hard to forget that that has happened um, when you look at images like that. Um, so it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, it is. But I know I know where I stand. And, uh, and so that's fine with me. I'm good with that. <laughs> no, I think that's good. And I think if you're someone who doesn't have any issues with that and that's where you stand, that's great too. It's just that, um, I think it's important for people to hear other perspectives. You know, um, my perspective is that when I look at those types types of images, it's it's difficult for me to enjoy it as a beautiful piece of art because it's hard for me to disconnect it from what I can what I know has been done. Um, and so that yeah, but that's yeah. my that's my issue. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. I get that as well. But then the only way around this, and this is obviously not to go back into that uh, that classic episode, um, <laughs> is is for them to label the image as this is not, you know, this is not what it really looked like to everybody. But then, of course, do you want that all over your work? You know, that's kind of like, oh, people go, oh, really? Oh, all right, okay. So it's kind of, it's difficult because the, the solution is quite, you know, uh, upsetting perhaps to some people. Um, so I don't know. I just kind of stay out of it, really. But I know how I feel about my work, so that's important. That's great. Uh, for me, printing is kind of the, you know, I feel like there's kind of three steps to the artistic process of photography. And I think a lot of a lot of people lose out by not printing their work because I, re- I really do feel like it's kind of the culmination of everything that you've done up into the point of printing. And so um, that's why I really love to print. I see you have some prints on your wall behind you that you've made with your Canon printer. I think we have the same printer, actually, the Pro 10, maybe? Oh, this is a Pro 1000. Unfortunately, oh, so it's 100 times bigger. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, so, you know, printing is, I think it's a really fun process. But also I think it's, you know, like I said, it's kind of the uh, the tip of the iceberg, you know. And so, um, you know, I... I understand based on, you know, seeing your work online and and seeing kind of how you describe it, that you love to print your work. And I'm just curious for you, what is your motivation to create those prints? Yeah, I think it's quite a cyclical thing, printing, um, because it informs the photography as well. And then it comes back around to the print, which then informs your, your, your practice in the field. I think the bit of Obviously, let's say there's three stages, which is the the, the, composi- the composition and the actual taking of the image, the editing and then the printing. I think that stage two is one I try to avoid as much as possible. Uh, but stage one and three uh, are definitely ones that I very much enjoy the most. Um, 
printing for me is really important um, because I didn't used to print. And this is this is something that started about a year and a half ago. It's uh, lockdown began in the UK in March last year. And then I went, right, I'm buying a printer. I'm doing it. So, <laughs> so I bought a printer and then started printing some of my favorite images. I was like, ugh, what is that? <laughs> what's that what i started noticing things that i'd never noticed before right. like oh oh what and and um i then of course that led me to <laughs> re-edit some of my images in a certain way um and to make them more uh open and nice and sort of area and and feel better on the print which of course then goes back to influence how i work photographically which may even have led to to talking about that project earlier perhaps the printing will have perhaps has led to that because the, when prints came out very contrasty, I was like, Ugh, I don't want them on my wall. I don't want really contrasty work up on my walls. It makes me feel ugh, all trapped. So, um, yeah, the printing is, I'm only just realizing this now, actually, Matt, live on air, uh, that uh, perhaps that has influenced the project that I'm currently working on. Um, but uh, it has improved my photography, like no end has printing, um, to the point where <laughs> um, I have, I've even I've even sold all my zoom lenses and just I only use prime lenses now because I wanted to have just eat the slightly eat a bit more image quality out of, <laughs> of the work to to make nicer prints because I like to have something in my hand at the end of everything. It's nice to make uh, images and share them online, but it always feels like they go off into the into the ether and then they never come back again and and they disappear forever. But um, when I print them and uh, stick them up or uh, whatever. It just feels good, uh, and it has improved my work massively. Um, so, and it's just an enjoyable process. I find it quite meditative. To so I've got like a, a nice little comfy little uh, workroom here where uh, I've got a lovely comfy chair in the corner. So I'll set the printer going. I'll sit in my chair, read a bit of book, um, and then uh, oh, the printer's done. I'll pop up and look and go, oh no, that's awful. <laughs> I need to slightly adjust the contrast or whatever, and then reprint. And I just find that process really rewarding. Um, I really like it. So I extol the uh, the benefits of printing to all. What uh, what are you doing with your prints, or is it completely a um, for the benefit of yourself? It's a bit of both. I do I do I do have them for sale. Some of them that I really like um, on 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 my website, uh, but I don't really aim to <laughs> to make money uh, or profit because I think. Uh, um, I will never, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the cost of my camera, the lenses, the printer, the trips. I don't think selling a few prints is ever going to cover that. So I, I'm realistic about the fact that I do sell them for some for, for a price, but um, that is mainly just to, <laughs> to cover the fact that uh, I've spent a lot of time making these and working on these. Um, I just like making them. And to be honest, um, if people put them up in their homes, which some people have, and it's really amazing feeling. I'm sure a lot of people will, 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 will resonate with that to have the, your work not just liked online, but to be hanging in someone's house. It's just the ultimate compliment and it makes you feel incredible. Uh, and so pleased that um, what you've expressed or what you produced or the composition you've worked on for so so long has, has you know, someone has decided to have that permanently with them um, as well as permanent as a print can be. Um, it, it feels wonderful and it's an incredibly rewarding process. Um, so that's why I do it. But, but again, I do print them out. You, I don't know. Obviously, this is a podcast, but I have a, a sort of cork board behind me, which I stick up work that is recent and I stare at it. <laughs> and uh, I think about what, what do I like or not like about this image? And, and that's part of that. What that influences my work in the field then as well. Well, so, I, yeah. I mean, I, I like what I see. It looks good. Got some good stuff. Thank you. I'm curious, you know, having not having that uh, external motivation um, to sell your work, uh, at least, you know, it seems to me that, that that's not a primary motivation for you. I'm, I'm curious, do you feel like uh, the exclusion of that motivation is uh, of benefit to your photography and your photograph and your photographic process? Uh, I suppose so. If I really think about it, I, I suppose it is. I think if I consider, you know, it's not it's not an intention I have at all. But let's say let's pretend that I was a professional photographer. Um, I, I think that might for me, and I'm not saying this is the case for every professional photographer, but I think for me that would take away why I, I do it in the first place. Um, so yeah, to, to to not have that pressure, I suppose, the monetary pressure um, that I, I would put, I would not want to put on myself. I think allows it to maintain its uh, 
for me, my own artistic integrity, I suppose, and, and keeps the creativity natural um, and as, rather than bottled. Um, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about you know COVID times, and I think at least here in the United States, what what I've recognized is there's been a huge influx of people to the places that I love to photograph, um, either because people want to get outside and get out of the house because um, mm-hmm. they've been locked inside for so long, um, or they're finally realizing that there's a life outside that they can enjoy. Um, and I'm, I think what I've come to learn in talking to some photographers over there, like Paul Reefer, is that this is also happening in the United Kingdom. And so I'm curious how you have seen the impact of that increased visitation and the rise of uh, social media anchored nature photography impact some of the places that you enjoy photographing. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's be, be clear here. I've only been photographing like for three and a half years, so... I'm part of the crowd as well, you know, um, but uh, I can't sit there and look at the crowd and go, oh, look at all those people. I'm one of those people who's come to these places. But I do like to do it the right way and, you know, responsibly. And I am a big uh, supporter, as I'm sure. (laughs) Well, of course you are, of the nature first principles and so on. Um, And yes, in the UK, I'm sure a lot of people who live here will resonate with this. There has been an an enormous increase of domestic travel, um, which... To, but to places that often were not as uh, frequented. So um, I like to, um, prior to photography, I love to visit Scotland and, and, and the rural and highland and island areas of Scotland, uh, which of course many people always have done. But um, I think recently, uh, especially in the last year or so, uh, it has been heaving uh, with people, which, um, you know, you think, well, why, why is everyone here? Um, why is everyone on the Isle of Skye climbing up to the Old Man of Star? Or uh, why are people coming to this part of Scotland, for example, whatever part it is? And uh, you've got to sort of have in the back of your mind, well, perhaps, um, you know, these locations that are well well photographed is, is part of the draw for a lot of people. And and that's, <laughs> and again, I don't want to be sound like an elitist because, of course, why shouldn't everyone enjoy these places? But, of course, if you draw more people, let's say 5% of everyone is uh, an environmental disaster waiting to happen, If you, you know, it, which is something I believe. If, if you increase, you know, if you double the number of people visiting somewhere, you're bringing more of those, uh, unfortunately, the unnecessary uh, damage that some people cause. Um, I think I was just in Scotland camping. Um, I, I used campsites and I made sure that I wasn't... Uh, putting strain on, on, on the wild, the wilderness, uh, actually. And uh, upon driving through Scotland, the amount of tents pitched at the side of roads and or just off the road in these beautiful areas uh, like Glencoe. Um, I mean, wild camping is great, but um, if it's by a road, or, and of course, a lot of them, are, a lot of ditch tents. I saw a lot of ditch tents people, where people just left them behind and, oh. and things like this. And it's, it's horrific. And, and it draws those type of people in. Um, so I think there is, and again, you know, photographers input into social media, input the imagery into social media, whether that's a photographer uh, professional or someone with a phone, um, that is the input. And it is so important that not just, I mean, location sharing is is an easy thing to, to talk about, but I mean, some of these places, it's, 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 everyone knows about them now, you know, so it's not, that's not really an, op- an option anymore. So then it, then when you think, well, what do you have to do then as a photographer? And I suppose you have to, well, one, you have to be responsible yourself. Uh, and some people may say they are and are not, I suspect. Um, but as you, what you really have to do is, is put forward that message through your work um, and, and make it clear, I suppose, that, that that is important while you while you are working. I, I, I'll go back to some images that I made in spring of some bluebells, quite local woodland um, to me. And bluebells are a protected species in the UK. Um, they are um, easily damaged. If you damage them, they can be either kill them or be gone for seven years before they regrow and all these things. Um, and you know, we cannot. It's illegal to trample them. Actually, um, in the UK, it's illegal to pick intentionally pick them or trample them. Um, so when I shared those images, I made a point of, of showing, look, my tripod is is on the path. It's not in the bluebells. I, I made a really clear, clear message to everyone who's, who looks at the work that I've made these images responsibly. You can too. Um, and I know that's not going to change a lot of uh, the issues, but if we all did that, I think that would go some way. 
to to getting that message across a la phil monson you know so um oh, yeah. you're really 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 uh, going for it you know but um you know it's really important to do that and uh, when i release my collection of images that i've made on my recent scotland trip i am going to write um like, i'm not going to release them on social media i'm going to release them on my website first as a blog uh, and then maybe i'll put them on later perhaps on social media but um I'm going to write, you know, about my experiences there um, and how I made those images responsibly, and that's going to be part of the the writing because uh, it's important. Because um, if I feel really upset about what I've seen, then I need to, if you know, let's say 15 people read that blog, brilliant. That's 15 people who may have may may think differently now. Hopefully, yeah. What's I'm curious. What's the uh, penalty if you trample the bluebells? If someone catches you. I don't really know. I don't actually know what the penalty is. I would hope it was um, electrocution by death. Yeah. Death, death. <laughs> yeah. death by yeah. electrocution. Or, or, <laughs> or they plant bluebells into your scalp or something and, and you have to grow <laughs> them out of your skin or something. I don't know. But yeah, um, no, I don't know what the penalty is, uh, actually. I don't really know. Uh, but I know it's uh, it's not it's not allowed. <laughs> shame. Just shame. You know? right. Public shame. Right. <laughs> you have to do that walk of shame like in... Um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, Shame. Cersei Lannister. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got the the bluebell bells, and we're just yeah, yeah. And, Shame, yeah. shame. <laughs> yeah, that's the penalty. <laughs> well, well I've, we've written that now. Turns out, shame doesn't work. Apparently, so. Well, well, great. Uh, but I, I think you're that, right. I mean, well, I think education is the key. Education is the key. I think for the future generations, it's important. I think I think it's difficult to educate people who are in the 30s and are trashing the landscape because I mean. If you're in your 30s and you think that's okay, then this, you aren't going to change. You know, if you if you think it's fine to leave a tent in the middle of Glencoe, then at 30 years old, then I think that ship has sailed, unfortunately. And the only way to solve those problems is for legislation and laws um, and and banning right. things, which is a shame because, of course, that will always affect the people who do it responsibly, and there's always that problem. But I think uh, the landscape must come first. Um, and uh, if I can't go and camp somewhere because of a new legislation, then fine. If that helps the nature, then fine. You know, um, so. But for the younger generation, of course, education is is the key. For the future gener- for the current generation that, that do do this already, I think the only way to stop them is to stop them <laughs> physically or uh, legislative electrocution um, <laughs> or electrocution. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, no, it's we'll not, you know, people only change behavior for one of two reasons: to avoid pain or increase pleasure. Yeah, there you go. And so if you, it, those are really the only two dials we have that we can push. So um, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it'll just be a few scowls uh, as I pass them for now. But um, it will be nice to see to see more done, really. Yeah. I think it will have to be done as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, James, wrapping up, I'm curious, who would you love to hear about on the podcast? Who who has not been on the show yet that you think I should spend all of my time trying to get to come onto the show? Okay. So, um, I will give all, a lot, a lot, I said, um, to you earlier about this, a lot of my favorite photographers you've already had on, um, which is, uh, so I've, uh, but, but, but luckily some of my favorite photographers you haven't had on. Um, so I will, uh, the ones who I would love to hear from, uh, uh, Simon Baxter, who is, uh, I'm sure people know, is a woodland, predominantly a woodland photographer uh, in Yorkshire, like me, which is obviously a beautiful, his, he lives in a much more beautiful part of the world than I do there. Um, so it'd be great to hear from Simon because he's, uh, he's always got a lot to say and he's very eloquent as well. Um, uh, Joe Cornish, who is uh, the sort of, um, you know, a very well-respected photographer in the UK, if people uh, don't know him, is incredible life life span of work um and of course someone who also prescribes to the uh the eyewitness approach to landscape photography so someone who definitely inspires that from me as well yeah um funny i was um i was hiking this last weekend and uh i came up with a little a little slogan for uh, photographers uh looking to improve their composition wwjc okay yeah what would you know what would joe cornish do Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. WWJC. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a, a bumper sticker for the yeah, future. Yeah. Not, not what would yeah. Jesus Christ do? It's what would Joe Cornish do? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he is. Yeah, well, he is. The, yeah. I don't know if we want to compare him to uh, any religious figure, but he's he's pretty well renowned, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely those two uh, chaps. And uh, there is actually a, a very young photographer. Um, I think he's 20 years old. He's called Josh Gleister, who is uh, someone who lives relatively locally to me. He's he's he doesn't drive or anything. He, he all, the only images he makes are where he walks from his front door. Uh, luckily, he lives in the Peak District National Park, so that's okay. Um, but um, he doesn't. You know, so he, you know, he doesn't live in central London. But um, but yeah, he, he's 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 a really interesting chap, and you know, he's, he's quite wise beyond his years actually. So he's he's, he's a. But um, I don't know. He's a bit, might be a bit shy to come on here, perhaps. But he's he's a, he really likes. A, you know, really has a a good approach to photography, a very healthy approach to it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, he's James Lane. Thank you, sir. I really had a great time. Yeah, thanks very much, Matt. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for uh, for listening to me and uh, my three drinks that I'm slowly working my way through. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, James, for the great conversation on the podcast. I encourage listeners to head over to my blog at mattpainphotography.com and look at the show notes for this week's episode where you'll find examples of James' excellent work, a link to his website, and links to the other photographers mentioned, as well as other items discussed on today's show. The conversation also continues over on Patreon, where James and I provide our tips and tricks for printing. I think most people can learn a lot by tuning in. To listen, just hop on over to patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen, and become a supporting member today for as little as $5 a month. And if our chat about printing has you inspired to do some printing of your own, I have a new special offer available to listeners. I have partnered with the lab that I work with exclusively, Read Art and Imaging in Denver, Colorado, to provide a discount for listeners. Before I tell you about the discount, let me tell you why I personally love using Read. I have used a lot of labs and Reed continues to be my go-to for several reasons. First, they provide a hands-on customer service approach that helps you feel confident that the work that they produce for you will meet you and your clients' high expectations for your artwork. Most other labs just have you upload and pray, <laughs> not Reed. When you work directly with their sales manager, Michael, he will make sure that your prints will be produced exactly as you envisioned. Sure, they take a little bit longer and cost a little bit more, but in my opinion, it is well worth it. New customers can get 20% off their first order with Reed by using the code PAINPDCST, that's Pain Podcast. Just call Michael Baker at 303 Five seven three eight zero eight four extension three two one or email him at michael.baker at readphoto.com and tell him Matt Payne sent you and use that discount code. Alright, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week. <laughs>